Welcome to Digital Detectives, reports from the battlefront. We'll discuss computer forensics, electronic discovery, and information security issues and what's really happening in the trenches. Not theory, but practical information that you can use in your law practice, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the 43rd edition of Digital Detectives. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Sharon Nelson, president of Sensei Enterprises. We would like to take this time to thank our sponsor, Digital War Room, one of the leading platforms for e-discovery. And I'm John Simic, vice president of Sensei Enterprises. Today on Digital Detectives, our topic is the FBI's massive facial recognition database, privacy implications. We're delighted to welcome Jennifer Lynch, who is a senior staff attorney with the Electronic Frontier Foundation, a nonprofit organization dedicated to defending civil liberties in the digital world. At EFF, Jennifer works on privacy issues and new technologies such as biometrics, domestic drones, and location tracking devices. She successfully sued the Federal Aviation Administration and Customs and Border Protection to obtain thousands of pages of previously unpublished drone records and has testified about facial recognition and its Fourth Amendment implications before the Senate Subcommittee on Privacy, Technology, and the Law. Thanks so much for joining us today, Jennifer. Thank you so much for having me on the program. Well, Jennifer, the first time we heard about the FBI's massive facial recognition database was from the BBC. Could you tell us how the Electronic Frontier Foundation got that informative uh, information and the essence of what it is that you had learned? Sure. Well, we first started tracking the FBI's plans to roll out a massive biometric database um, early in 2011. We'd heard about this program. So we sent a few Freedom of Information Act requests to the agency in 2012, asking for information specifically about the face recognition component of this new database. The agency didn't respond, so I filed a lawsuit in 2013 and asked for records related to how the FBI was getting its facial recognition data, the reliability of the data, and anything about the FBI's plans to combine civil and criminal or criminal and non-criminal data into one database. So we received the records and combed through them, uh, many hundreds of pages of records, and we learned some really interesting things. For example, we learned that uh, the FBI is planning to roll out this database this summer, uh, that it already has about 16 to 20 million images in this database. These are face images. And that it hopes that it will be capable, uh, that the database will be capable of including up to 52 million images by 2015. Jeez, that's crazy. It is. So we have you to thank for, for bringing all this forward, Jennifer. Um, and scaring us. <laughs> can you tell us, I guess, in, in kind of layman's language a little bit about how the, the technology behind that database works? Sure, I'd be happy to to try and explain in layman's terms how uh, facial recognition technology works. So I think the first thing to know about facial recognition is that in general, facial recognition systems don't store the actual photograph that you see, the photograph of a face. The whole point of a facial recognition system is that it extracts data from that photo data that relates to the distance between your eyes, the size of your nose, the shape of your cheeks, um, where your ears are, that sort of thing. 
Um, and it extracts that data and stores the data. And then it uses a mathematical formula to match the data with um, what's called a probe photo. So let's say you're a law enforcement officer, you have a mugshot picture, and you want to identify the person in the mugshot. You put that mugshot into the facial recognition database. The computer goes to work and says, well, the distance between the eyes is X and the nose to the mouth is Y, and here are all these other measurements. And we see about 50 candidates that are somewhat similar to that, that probe image that you submitted to the database. And then it returns a, a list of candidates that's ranked. And then it's up to the officer to go through that list and determine if any of those candidates are a match. And is that just done visually? Well, I think that final step is done visually. Now, some of the issue with facial recognition databases is that we, we tend to um, believe that computers are right all the time because technology is, is sort of mysterious and uh, it must just work. But the thing about facial recognition is that the way that the FBI has designed its system is that it's just producing a list of results. Um, the computer ranks that list, um, or the facial recognition algorithm ranks that list from 1 to 50, uh, and then it's up to the officer to say, well, number one doesn't actually look exactly like my, my suspect, uh, but number three on the list does, so that might be the person. Interesting. I'd like to see that in action. Can, can you tell us what kind of information is collected in the next generation identification and where does that information uh, come from? Well, so NGI was designed to be what the FBI calls a multimodal biometric database. And what that means is that it will include a few different types of biometrics. Um, it starts with fingerprints. The FBI already has well over a mil uh, 100 million fingerprints in the database. And the agency has also added in iris prints and palm prints and now face recognition. So not only will NGI include those biometrics, but it will also include biographic information about a person. That's, that's things like where do you live, what's your driver's license number, what color are your eyes. Uh, and it will also include encounter information. So has this person um, been in the custody of law enforcement before? Which law enforcement agency? And when did that happen? Hmm. So, Jennifer, one of the, the issues you've written about is that the, the FBI might be, and you mentioned uh, briefly today, that they might be combining the criminal and the non-criminal records in the NGI database. What kind of dangers is, is that bring to, to Americans by commingling those images? Well, this is definitely something we've been very concerned about with next generation identification. So in the past, the FBI has collected fingerprints from criminal and non-criminal sources. Um, in general, the non-criminal fingerprint database has included prints of people who apply for federal jobs or who apply to work with children or the elderly, or even if you're uh, a lawyer in California, you have to submit your, your fingerprints to this database. Um, but in the past, the FBI has always kept the non-criminal fingerprints separate from the criminal fingerprints. This has meant that if there is a, a criminal um, investigation and a law enforcement agency wants to run a set of prints against the, the FBI's fingerprint database, the prints that haven't been collected for a criminal purpose aren't searched. And that's going to change with NGI. So with NGI, every entry is going to be assigned a universal control number. So whether you have 
a, uh, um, a, a criminal file or a non-criminal file. It will all be assigned a number. And what we think is going to happen, and the FBI certainly hasn't uh, denied this, is that any search of the database will be a search of the entire database. So that means if your future employer asks you to take a, a photograph and submits a photograph for a background check, that photograph will then be searched every time there's a criminal search of the database. The problem with that, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, is that face recognition is not perfect. And there is a very good chance that your image will be returned as a result of a criminal investigation. And there's the potential that you could be a suspect in a criminal case for a while. Well, that kind of scares, uh, I think, a lot of people that that might happen. And I understand that there have been some studies done that show about the increase in the dangers as the database grows in size, as it obviously is doing uh, exponentially. So can you tell us what these studies are telling us? Yeah, so studies have looked at the capabilities of facial recognition over very large databases, or, or what researchers call data sets. And they found that while face recognition is pretty good at identifying people in smaller data sets, so for example, your two to 500 friends on Facebook, Facebook's face recognition system is really good at identifying people in that small data set. Uh, but face recognition tends to fail in larger data sets in large part, actually, because there actually isn't that much differentiation among humans. We, we look like other people. This is why a lot of times you'll see people on the street who look like a, a friend of yours, for example. And because there isn't much distinction over such a large number of people, there is a, a real risk that there will be a false positive um, results in the database. And what that means if you're doing a criminal search is that somebody who is not, um, should not be implicated in a criminal investigation, their image is tagged as a possible suspect. Hmm. Maybe, Sharon, that's why that guy up in New York City thought I looked like Steven Seagal. <laughs> <laughs> Honey, if he thinks you look like the current Steven Seagal, you're in a lot of trouble. <laughs> well, Jennifer, I Typical, I guess, of all the uh, a lot of the federal agencies, the FBI is claiming that the database is is going to reduce terrorism and criminal activities. And yeah, we've heard that story before. But what what's your response to that claim? Well, yes, we do hear that story a lot from federal agencies, and it's used as a justification to collect more and more information on Americans. But there's just no proof that this is true. Um, none of the anecdotes that we've heard from the FBI or any other law enforcement agencies have proven that facial recognition is any more useful than fingerprints. And the risks of false identification with facial recognition are just much higher than with fingerprints. Interesting. Well, before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break with a few words from the Legal Talk Network and our sponsor, the Digital War Room platform for e-discovery. Don't be caught unprepared for e-discovery. Digital War Room e-discovery software allows you to search, review, mark, and produce responsive email and documents. Powerful enough for your biggest cases, but easy enough for first-time e-discovery attorneys. Geeks need not apply. Digital War Room has a solution for every client, every case, and every budget. Visit www.digitalwarroom.com for a free trial and see how easy e-discovery can be. Make your next case your best case with Digital War Room.
Welcome back to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Today, we're talking about the FBI's massive facial recognition database, Privacy Implications, with Jennifer Lynch, a senior staff attorney with the Electronic Frontier Foundation. So, Jennifer, you mentioned before seeking employment with an employer who requires a, a photo or a fingerprint. And if they do, you have no way of opting out of the fact that that might end up in the FBI's database, do you? Well, I think that that's true. We haven't seen any way of opting out. Now, of course, some might say, well, you could just agree not to take that job uh, if you don't want to have to submit your photograph, um, because most of the time you'd be submitting your photograph as part of a background check before you even get the job. But I, I think that that's pretty much a false choice. I don't think that we should be forced to uh, not take a position just because we don't want our face in a giant face recognition database. Well, the FBI said that there would be annual audits of its system to detect any sort of misuse, but that kind of proved to be a little bit of an exaggeration, didn't it? I haven't personally seen any audits of the system. And in fact, uh, the federal government, under the Privacy Act of 1974, the, the federal government is required to produce privacy impact assessments of any system that collects information on Americans. And uh, the, the FBI hasn't updated its privacy impact assessment of the NGI system, the facial recognition system, since 2008. Um, now, that's the year that the FBI signed the contract to develop the system with uh, Lockheed Martin. So the system wasn't even built in 2008. Uh, it's hard to believe that the FBI could have assessed all of the privacy risks inherent in a facial recognition system before it's even built the system. So um, I, I believe that the agency does have a uh, responsibility to at least update that privacy impact assessment and produce annual, annual audits. But do they, they're not doing the audits themselves, I hope, right? <laughs> no, hopefully they're not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think it, it's hard to, it's not just hard to believe that that there haven't been changes and things they need to take note of. It's it's really pretty much impossible. And that's one of the things that scares people is here they're gathering all this information. They're not doing what they promised they would do. I mean, it's the usual story we've seen with invasion of privacy. So my million-dollar question is, now that you guys have collected all this terrifying information, which we expect would lead to further intrusions into privacy, what use does the EFF intend to make of the data that it's collected? Well, our point in filing the Freedom of Information Act requests in the first place was to get information about the system. And now that we have a lot of information about the system, we're hoping to inform the public and the press and policymakers just about the threats of NGI. And we are hoping to encourage legislators to place appropriate limits on the use of NGI. Our other plans for the future are to look into where the data is being collected at the initial phase. So much of the face recognition data or the, or the, the, the actual photographs are coming from state and local law enforcement agencies. And a few of those law enforcement agencies are now using mobile biometric collection tools. So, for example, the city of San Diego is using Samsung tablets out in the field to take a picture of people walking down the street and then put that picture into a face recognition database and use it to identify people. 
We don't know enough yet about San Diego's system and which other agencies are employing similar systems, but those are the photographs that are going into NGI, and we need to learn more about how they're being collected. Are they being collected legally, or are they being collected from people who feel like they, they have no opportunity to opt out of that collection? So they're not going after the DMV photo records? That's a separate program, actually. So the FBI is definitely going after DMV records, um, and it's a sort of a state-by-state basis. The FBI at this point is not incorporating DMV photos into NGI, um, but most law enforcement agencies have the ability to access DMV photos whenever they want. Boy, because that, that would be ripe amount of data if they just went after that stuff and just populated. But Well, and uh, there are about 37 states at this point that have um, facial recognition capabilities in their DMV databases. Oh, not just the photos, but the facial recognition capabilities as well, huh? Yep, and it's, uh, those facial recognition capabilities, are those tools are designed by the same vendor that designed the system for the FBI. Oh, great. <laughs> is, that, is that Lockheed Martin? Lockheed Martin was the contractor, and then the subcontractor is a company called uh, Morpho Trust. Wow. Any uh, vendor who does facial recognition that has the word trust in the name, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm just not sure. You're just frightening the heck out of us here, Jennifer. Uh, so, so finally, get your crystal ball out, and uh, do you have any predictions of your own on, on the future of, of privacy, if, if there is one? <laughs> Well, I'm definitely concerned about the use of face recognition um, in the future because one of the biggest privacy risks uh, from face recognition capabilities is that it will destroy our ability to be anonymous in society. And this is a, a fundamental principle that's protected under the First Amendment to the Constitution. We need to be able to speak anonymously, especially about politics, um, but about all matters within society. Many people will be concerned or feel their speech is chilled if, if they have to identify themselves or they feel that the government can identify them, for example, if they're engaging in public protest. And this is a, this is a principle that's a foundation to our society. Of course, the Federalist Papers were written anonymously. And when we're building out massive face recognition databases, it means that at some point in the future, all the security cameras that you see around may be linked to a facial recognition database, and it may become very, very difficult to walk around without the government knowing where you are at every moment of the day. Well, not to mention all those license plate readers as well <laughs> that knows where your vehicles are and that's a that's a whole nother can of worms isn't it yeah we'll bring jennifer back for that one <laughs> that's a whole nother can of worms well we may have to have you back but i we sure want to thank you for all this information about this particular system which i think both it's fair to say we both find very frightening uh, a lot of society is frightened by this and i do think it's already having a chilling effect uh, in many respects and not just this one particular element this facial recognition system but lots of different intrusions into privacy. So I in particular, and I think John joins me, we're very proud of the EFF for the work it's doing. And we thank you for taking your time today and giving us such concise but eloquent answers to our questions, and I think informing our audience. So thank you very much, Jennifer, for being with us. Thank you. It's great being on the show. Well, that does it for this edition of Digital Detectives. And remember, you can subscribe to all the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on iTunes. If you enjoyed this podcast, 
please review us on iTunes. And you can find out more about Sensei's digital forensics, technology, and security services at www.senseient.com. We'll see you next time on Digital Detectives. Thanks for listening to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Check out some of our other podcasts on LegalTalkNetwork.com and in iTunes.